Okay, so um, a kid question. What is your favorite toy? Halo Master Chief, what is that? It's, it's hard to design. It's a mask. It's a mask? Okay. Yes? It's hard to design. Okay. Hello? Oh, sure, Switch. So let's pretend, so are your toys broken? Is that is it a broken, like do you have one? Like, do you have a Switch? I have a Switch. Is it broken? But it works, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Noah, is your mask broken? Is your, oh, it's not, not broken. Okay. Let's, let's imagine that I come over to your house and I, and I bring a saw and a drill and more tools and duct tape and glue. And I say to you, I'm going to fix your toy. Give me your toy so I can fix it. Would you be a little hesitant to give me your toy, seeing that I've got a saw and things to like cut and glue? Okay, let's say you didn't trust me that much, <laughs> and, you have a, and you have a toy that's not broken, but I come to your house with all these tools, and I'm like, I'm going to fix your toy. What would the typical response be? No, it's already fixed. It's already fixed. It's not broken. What's broke don't need fixing, right? Exactly. That's going to come up later. Today we're going to talk about that idea a little bit. In this verse, believe it or not, the fact that we have to recognize that something's broken before we'd want it fixed. Because in the same way, if you had a toy that was broken, what if you just didn't realize it? You'd never get it fixed then. Right? Okay, so in Galatians 3 verse 19, Paul begins to ask the question, why the law then? Remember, he had just finished in this chapter, and he's been discussing it for quite some time now, the fact that Christians, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you don't need the law to be saved, you don't need the law to be righteous, and he even proved how Abraham was called righteous before circumcision was even implemented. So God gave a promise to Abraham, Abraham believed it, and he was called righteous. So then the question is, well then, what's the point of the law? If we could have always been righteous just by believing... What's the point of the law? And Paul answers here, it was added because of transgressions. That's the first part we're going to look at. So the law has many benefits. It has many uses. And in different letters that Paul writes, he'll give different reasons for why it's useful. For example, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that all Scripture, including the Old Testament, is useful and profitable for reproach and for doctrine and for teaching and all that. Um, also in Romans 3, after he discusses how the, in Christ there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, then he says, are there benefits to being a Jew? And he says, yes, there are, because they were the ones that were entrusted with the oracles in, in Romans 3 verse 2. So there are different benefits to the law, but here's the reason. He says, because of transgressions. In other words, the law makes us aware of our sin. That's in your notes, one of the questions. The law makes us aware of our sin. John Calvin writes, The law was published in order to make known transgressions. 
and in this way to compel men to acknowledge their guilt. Or like Paul says in Romans 3 verse 20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So I would say that we have not truly believed the gospel if we haven't come to terms with the fact that we're sinners. Imagine, okay, an adult example here. You go to the doctor, you sit down, and the doctor prescribes you like a bucket load of pills and just says, here, take these. Would you just take them? Yes. Wouldn't you want to first say, wait, what's wrong with me? Or wait, what do these pills even do? Right. So here Christ comes and he's saying, I am the Savior. And the world goes, the Savior for what? What do I need saving from? And that's why the law. So we know what we needed saving from. So Paul is saying, yes, Abraham believed and he was righteous. Well, then why did God bring us the law 430 years later through Moses? He says, so that when the promise of the seed to come, so that when the Messiah comes, you'd recognize why he was here and you would have that desperate need of a Savior because you would have tried to make it on your own. You would have tried to obey the law and you would have seen your shortcomings. So Paul says, it was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Now I'm going to spend more time than I should probably on this term, having been ordained through angels. I just want to make sure that you all have a good understanding of what that means. The whole focus of this statement isn't on the word angels, but on the word mediator. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. That's the main point he's making. But still he says angels and that the law was ordained through angels. So we should address what that means. Now the word angel, does anybody know what it means? The Greek word for angel? Messenger. It just means messenger. And so there are times when that Greek word when not referring to angels, is just translated messenger. For example, John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, verse 10, this is the one about whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So John the Baptist was a messenger, not not an angel, spiritual angel, but it's the same Greek word. So it can just mean messenger. So because of that, some are very confused with this verse, and they think what Paul's saying is that God ordained the law through messengers, human messengers. But there's a reason why essentially every Bible translation uses the word angel here. Some use messenger, but most do not. It's because most believe that Paul did mean angels here. There's no other word in Greek for angel. When you want to say angel, you say this Greek word, agelos. And so it's used often for angels, and quite often it's very clear that it means spiritual angels. For example, I'll give you some examples here. Matthew 2, verse 19, the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Clearly that wasn't just a messenger, it was an angel. Matthew 4, 11, angels came and began to minister to Jesus. Again, not just messengers, but angels. Or in Matthew 28, verse 2, after the resurrection, a severe earthquake 
occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So not just a messenger descended from heaven, it was an angel. So this word very often means angel. And there's a good reason to think that it means angel here too, not just some other earthly messenger. An angel's primary function is to be a messenger. You know, they can do other things. You can hear about them, for example, in Daniel battling, these spiritual battles we have no idea about that are happening in Daniel, or even in Revelation, some more of these battles happening. But their primary message is to be, a, their primary purpose is to be a messenger. There are countless stories in both the Old and New Testament where the angels come with messages from God. And this leads some people to think that whenever God speaks, He's actually doing it through an angel delivering a message. And that when we pray to God, an angel is delivering our message back to God. It's an interesting idea, but I want to show you kind of some verses that kind of might... that. Okay, so Genesis 28, verse 12. This is a popular story where Jacob has a night vision while he's sleeping. 28.12, Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So Jacob has a dream. There's a ladder, and there's angels going down and up on this ladder, back and forth between heaven and earth. Yes? Well, it's a ladder, but some translations might call it a staircase. Now, keep that picture in mind. New Testament, John 1, verse 51. Jesus says, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, calling himself that ladder. So he's saying, in Jacob's vision, I was the ladder. Now, in English, we often use the term bridge, like Christ bridged the gap. You see the picture of like God here and, and man here and this big old gap because of our sin and the cross is like the bridge, you know. He's being the bridge. Same idea, but in Old Testament, and Jesus calls it a ladder. But if you think in terms of the angels being messengers, what that whole vision could portray is that it is because of Christ that God communicates to man, and it's because of Christ that we can pray to God. If the angels are the ones delivering messages back and forth, and the latter being Christ, it is through Him access to God. It's an interesting idea. Now, also, um, in Hebrews chapter 2, this is what got me first thinking about this. In Hebrews 2, um, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the difference between the law and, and the, the, basically the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he says in Hebrews 2, verse 1, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, so we don't drift away. For, listen to this, For if the word spoken through angels provided unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Essentially saying, if the old covenant could be disobeyed and there was penalties for that, how much more will 
disobedience to the new covenant have penalty. And why is he making that from the greater to the lesser, or from lesser to the greater argument? He says, because the old covenant came through angels, but the new one came through Christ himself, as if the law was given through angels. But we know it came through Moses. Paul even says so. The law came through Moses 430 years after Abraham. So Moses wrote it down. Moses was in Mount Sinai. He wrote on tablets, right? And yet there's a way in which it came through the agency or through the, through the angels in some way, through these messengers. So that's, that's God communicating this way. How about us praying to God? Is there a way in which angels facilitate our prayers to God? Well, Look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints. On the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Admittedly, the book of Revelation is not an easy book to understand, and I'm willing to admit that could be allegory. But still, the picture is that this angel is essentially presenting these prayers to God that are coming out of his hands, mixing them with incense. One more interesting verse about angels and prayer. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks ministry. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So the gift of speaking in tongues is called speaking in the tongues of angels. No one understands. You're edified personally by that gift, but you don't know what you're saying. It's a private prayer language, but it's interesting. It's called the tongues of angels. Now, whether or not you agree that angels facilitate God's messages to us or our prayers to him doesn't really matter. It's not a primary issue, it's not a salvation issue, it's not even a secondary issue. It's not something to even worry about. Why? Because the Bible never gives us any kind of imperative from that fact. So whenever you see, for example, that an angel is delivering a message, or when Paul says here that the law was ordained through angels, there's never any kind of like, so therefore you must do this with this information. And I say it because not everyone agrees with that, and this is more of a hill to die on. I've had a close friend of mine halfway jokingly send me some blessing, essentially asking an angel to pray on my behalf to God. And so we got into a discussion about whether angels pray for us and whether we should ask angels to pray for us. I said, as far as I can tell, Angels are messengers. They may deliver messages to us from God. They may even deliver our prayers to God, but we are never asked to speak to angels, to ask them to pray for us. Exactly. We're never asked, we're never told that the angels are praying for us. Who is the person in heaven praying for us? 
Right. And how do we get access to Jesus? Prayer and faith. There is no one else in between us and Jesus. He's not too busy, so go ask his mom because he'll listen to his mom and not us. We get confused about that, and this is a hill to die on. Christ came specifically to remove that barrier. That's why he's called the ladder or the staircase or the bridge or the treadmill. He is that thing between us and God. So to summarize so far, God ordained the law to make our sin apparent so we'd recognize we have sin. He ordained it through angels who apparently delivered it in some way and now by the agency of a mediator. Now a mediator is a person that acts between two parties, like in a contract. So you've got two people coming to agreement. The mediator is the one who is hearing both sides, making sure both sides are accounting for whatever. They're, in, they're standing in between. They're mediating. When it comes to the law, the mediator was Moses, wasn't he? God on one side saying, I will do these things if you do these things. And the people on this, thing, this side saying, okay, we agree to do those things. And they told Moses that, right? Moses, God came to Moses and said, tell the people this. And then the people said, okay, Moses, tell God we'll do this. So he was that mediator. So in the Old Covenant, the mediator was Moses. In the New Covenant, the mediator is Christ. First Timothy 2, verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one of the notes we can pray directly to God in the name of Christ. Okay, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. He's our mediator. And then it says, um, Until the time would come whom the promise had been made. Now, Paul previously said that his seed means Christ himself. When talking about the seed of Abraham, he says, that means Christ. To whom the promise had been made. So the promise was to bless all, nation, all nations. God promised to Abraham and his seed that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so this verse essentially saying, the law was given in order for us to recognize our sin. It was ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, Moses, until the seed Christ would come to whom the promise had been made. So basically, until Christ came, God gave us the law. Righteousness was always by faith, but until the Messiah came, he gave us the law to constantly remind us that we were sinners, that we needed a Savior. So when Christ came, we'd be like, okay, I need that. And those that recognize that could be saved. Those who thought the law could make them righteous, that was the main um, problem, wasn't it? If you think about when Christ came and talking with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all that, they thought they were already righteous and he was saying, repent. John the Baptist, who prepared the way, was calling them broods of vipers. They were sinners needing to repent and that offended them because they thought by obeying the law they could be righteous. They didn't realize they were failing all the time, and that meant they were sinners and they needed a Savior. So we're only going to get that far today because the end of this verse, 
connects with the next verse on the topic of mediator. And then I want to cover more verses on that topic. And I knew I wouldn't have enough time to do it well. Didn't want to rush through it. So I'm just going to conclude with a couple of final statements. So again, the law was given and ordained until Christ came. It was meant to show us that we're sinners. So we'd be desperately needing salvation. It prepared the way so when he came, we would cry out to him for salvation. The law was meant to show that we were sinners. You know, two great examples. Isaiah, you all know who Isaiah is in the Old Testament? Prophet Isaiah, big old book of the Bible. Do you know what Isaiah said when God gave him this great grand vision in Isaiah 6? How he responded? Isaiah 6 verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Basically saying, I'm a sinner. Which means he understood the law. That's an example of a man who understood the law, so when he was in the presence of God, he said, Woe is me, I am ruined. How about Peter? We all love Peter. When Peter meets Jesus and Jesus says, cast out your net, and Peter goes, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything. Peter, and Jesus says, go ahead and do it. So they cast their net over, and all of a sudden there's so many fish, their net's breaking. How does Peter respond? Not in the chosen, but in the actual Bible, how does he respond? He just no. In the Bible he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions. That's Luke 5, verse 8. He said, I am not worthy to be near you. You need to get away from me. You're, you're holy and I am sinful. You need to get away from me. He recognized the law. Yes? I'm getting there. The interesting thing is with Isaiah and Peter. When Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm ruined. When Peter says, get away from me, did God say, okay, and just walk away? Isaiah and Peter became used tremendously by God. God used them tremendously. That's in your notes. Isaiah was a powerful Old Testament prophet, and Peter was a powerful apostle. Some say the most influential apostle. Some say the first bishop. Either way, of high esteem, even among the apostles. Not because they were perfect, not because they were sinners either, because we're all sinners, but because they recognized they were sinners. When God showed up, they understood the law, and they said, woe is me. They were humble. They understood what the law meant. They knew they were unworthy, and so God could demonstrate his power through them. He could demonstrate his grace and his mercy by forgiving them and using them tremendously. If God had come to them and said, I want to use you, and they said, well, of course you do. I'm a good speaker. Then God wouldn't have used them. God's not interested in sharing his glory with anybody. And so when God shows up, he humbly recognized that we're so unworthy of him and so unworthy of his grace, that's when he can use us. His tremendous grace and mercy forgiving us. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. 
Younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. And He'll use anyone. He'll use everyone who comes to Christ humbly as Savior. We can't impress God with our abilities. We can't impress God with our good works. But when we allow the truth of the law to have its proper effect on us, and when we come to Christ humbly seeking a Savior, it is then that He can use us mightily in His kingdom. And that's why it's a benefit to still read the Old Testament and read the law because it still is a mirror of just how much we need a Savior. And this topic, humility, is, it's a good point because I've been thinking about saying this for a while, and you know, moving into a building is, is sort of a, a nice time to say it, because we are beginning to develop more ministries and kind of more systems. And one of the most important things to me in ministry is humility. From the top to the bottom, it's servant leadership. Shepherds were servant leaders serving their sheep, and it is very common in the Bible, in the New Testament, to speak of the apostles and of um, elders and of everybody serving in the church that we're to esteem others more than ourselves. And so let us never think of, if we become leaders of a certain ministry, let us never get proud about that or think that we're something because God is something. And we're all here to make God great, not make ourselves great. And that's the purpose, is to make God great in all of our lives as we serve Him together.